Welcome to Thriving with Stripes. I'm Dr. Patty Stott, along with Tom Stott here to present a positive environment for those with Ehlers-Danlos Syndromes. With a grounded background in research, we're here to provide education, support, and empowerment to understand how to thrive as a zebra. Our information we provide through our podcast is general and should not be applied as treatment until discussing with a medical practitioner. We're located outside the Denver metro area, specializing in general consultations and health and wellness-related in-office and tele-appointments for those with EDS and related diagnoses. We hope you enjoy the show. Good morning from Denver. It's morning time here. Good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. My name is Tom Stott. Good morning, Dr. Patty. Good morning. Today with you to talk about self-care and self-sabotage and This is a very heavy topic, so we want to keep it pretty light in terms of a conversation and and banter back and forth because I think it can be a bit touchy for some people because I think we can all agree that many of us struggle with self-care. A lot of us do. There's stigmas around it. You know, that, um, we feel guilty for it. There's, I mean, to be completely honest to all those listening, the reason why we're finally getting to this podcast <laughs> after such a long break is because we didn't find the balance in self-care during this whole pandemic and being quarantined with two small children and um, not having an outlet for them, having them home all the time and both of us trying to work. So it's taken this long to figure out our self-care and be able to find time to get this podcast in. And we have finally found kind of our, what I think that we're in a nice groove right now so that we actually have some energy to do these things. So um, self-care is so important to be able to to function really on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. You know, the, uh, the capacity to uh, create I thought was going to be like flourishing over the pandemic <laughs> times. And at times it was, but uh, at other times I felt like I was just severely hamstringing myself. Uh, I mean, I know I was, I didn't feel like that, uh, but it was, it's really hard to get out of that hole once you're in it, even though you, you're sitting there looking at the ground above you. So self-care has such a different uh, like unique definition to to the individual, um, but broadly, self care is what I would say just how you manage life, how you help take care of yourself. You mentioned that word balance, which I I I try not to use because balance is such it's like obtaining health or fitness. Mm-hmm. If you ask an individual, an athlete, like, "Hey, are you pretty fit?" The fittest person on the planet is never going to say yes. They're always going to say like, I'm getting there because you're always reaching for that unobtainable. It's kind of like health. You know, it's never like, oh, I'm perfectly healthy right now. I'm good. It's this big continuum. That's what self-care is too. And finding, you know, what we want to label as a balance is, is, is probably impossible. So it's, it ebbs and flows kind of like you alluded to our life over the past few months. It does. And it, it's totally fine that it ebbs and flows. And I think it should for most people. And it might completely change as to what your self-care was before and what it is now. As long as it's healthy and it's helping you, um, then that's what you're really looking for. And if you fall off the bandwagon, it's just important to jump back on because it really does help regulate our system and it controls our overall health. Yeah. And, and kind of one more point tacking onto that. Um, we're really good at comparing ourselves to other people <laughs> Which is helpful. I mean, it's in our nature and it's helpful at times because you can um, assimilate good habits into your routine. 
uh, but it's not going to work for you necessarily because it worked for your best friend, for your neighbor, for your spouse. Um, so being able, and we'll d- jump into some specific types of self-care later, being able to understand that you have, once again, that unique algorithm to you that's going to work for you uh, that, that sets your, sets you up on your own path. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we kind of touched on why it's so important, but, you know, from a physiological standpoint, it really does help regulate our system, especially for those with dysautonomia or even systemic inflammation, MCAS, and these little things that we, we touch on, but, you know, for an average everyday person, you're still dealing with a lot of stuff that taxes your nervous system, um, traffic, work, kids, you name it. So being able to influence your overall system and help calm it down is retraining in itself. Just like, you know, we strengthen the muscles by doing exercises, a certain number of repetitions, and we have to do it consistently. This is something that self-care will, if done consistently, can really help manage our day-to-day life. And like what I, I, I work with a lot of athletes, right? And one of the things that I stress to them in terms of health management is that if we get sick, if we get hurt, the fact that we are compiling this large base of fitness and health is going to help, help us come back to it that much easier. So if you're the person that maybe you spent your 20s or your 30s really taking a, a big self deep dive and you kind of figured out who you were, but you've kind of lost yourself through your 30s into your 40s, you can tap back into that. All that training is there and ready to be opened up again. And even if it's not there, it's something that you can build and start anew. So, And some people just need to completely start over. Again, what worked for you at that point might not work for you now. And you That's have to find, point. especially from what I've seen, a lot of management when we were younger was physical things that we did, whether it's aerobic to give us those endorphins. And as we get older, I think it comes to much more of a mental practice, not saying that everybody needs to meditate, but there is much more of a mental component in our mindset that we have to address when we get a little bit older. So I do typically see that shift with a lot of people, although also a lot of people, when they get a little bit older, want to get back to that endorphin-related aerobic activity to help balance the system. So there's a role of this physical and mental self-care that you have to approach it with. Yeah. Yeah, that that back and forth is a, is a tough draw at times. Yeah. And, you know, if, if we want to start off with maybe talking about the obstacles that we run into with self-care, um, I know that everybody has obstacles, but I think there are a lot that we don't think of that really impact us day to day that we think are normal and typical and that we just have to put up with them. And I, I really don't think that's the case and it shouldn't be. It's something that when situations arise, we really have to address them for our overall health. And sometimes they're big conversations to have. I'm stubborn. Yes. So stubbornness, stubbornness is a huge one. And I think that a lot of us have that component, um, especially when it's hard to make that transition and really taking time for yourself. You know, there's, there's this guilt that comes along with time for self-care and especially when you're you're stubborn, you know, you're going to really latch on to the fact that you're just not going to make that change that you've got other things to do. So stubbornness, sure. That's a, that's a huge one. And we're both absolutely um, guilty of being stubborn. I think, like I said, a lot of people are, but it's something to work on for your benefit. It's, you know, it's, it's good for you to take time for yourself. You're totally worth it. And we lose, we learn, we lose the, um, 
our importance of ourself as we get older and we start committing to other things like yeah. work and family. And then we take a back seat and you really shouldn't take a back seat. You know, when you're on an airplane, um, probably not so much now, <laughs> but, but when we're back to traveling, you know, you hear that, um, the, the intro that they tell you to make sure that you put your oxygen mask on first before you apply it to a child or somebody next to you. And it's just a, it's a really good lesson for life that yes, you, you really do have to take care of yourself first. And especially if we're talking about children, they see a lot, you know, they see that we're not taking care of ourselves. They see that and it really gets embedded into their matrix of who they are later on in life. So that's one thing I try to tell myself is that I really want my my kids to, to learn model, in a good way. You want to model. model. That, yeah. So I have to get out of my own stubborn head sometimes and demonstrate what I want somebody else to, to um, you know, develop later in life. Right. Yeah, that's something that I was listening to one of these short TEDx talks the other day, and it was a trauma ER doctor on, and she was talking about the term crazy when people apply it to their life. And this kind of goes with um, stubbornness and um, I'm too busy, busyness and frustrations around that kind of ties in. She basically said, like, we should not be using the word crazy of like, I can't do that right now. My life is too crazy. It's not really too crazy. It's just, it's so easy to frame it in that, like the house is on fire, you know, knock on wood, the house is on fire and things are collapsing around us. Like that would be crazy. But we self-impose this, this craziness and this feel of being too busy to take care of ourselves, which is something that is toxic. It's really bad. It is. But and we get to that point once we're locked in and we're like, I'm too crazy. I'm, I don't have time. I can't do this. It, it just, it digs us deeper into that hole. Right. And, you know, you bring up frustration. That's a really good point. And I think people run into that, that they're just frustrated because either their health or their life situation doesn't allow for self-care time. And like you're saying, you, you have to evaluate the situation that the only way to make a change in life is to actually make a change in life. And we've had this, we've had this talk so to many change, times you have to change, to change, you actually have to change and nothing will ever change until you make a change yourself. And that's, um, that's exhausting and tiring to think about, but even small changes can be super helpful in the beginning. So getting past that frustration point of, I, I'm just not going to make a change because things are so crazy. You have to take a step past that and understand that now in the crazy times are the, that's the time that you need to make a change to make the crazy times better. And it's really about perception. All of our lives are crazy all of the time. So how are you going to put yourself in that life to make it better? And there are, there's so many different ways and it's different for everybody. Like we keep preaching about, but I think it's important to understand that the, like we keep saying, the only way to make a change is to make a change. And it's going to be difficult. It's very it's be difficult. Painful, not maybe physically, but like painful to your life to make a change sometimes. Yeah. It's tough and it's commitment and it's, you know, and maybe a little bit mentally painful where with the guilt that comes along with it and things like that, that, you know, you might have to make some sacrifices in one place to give yourself some self-care time in another place. So it's, it's tough, especially if you are in a very crazy situation, but those are the times that you really need to find something to do. Yeah. So one of the biggest obstacles that I see with people that I talk to is work, is their profession. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's one of these things where I don't want to talk to everybody 
and say like completely change your career. Like that's just not my broad way to paint it. Right. But Mm we take a step back and say, what could you manipulate around with work? Could you fight for that? You know, this pandemic's proved that America can work from home. You know, many of the professions, you know, non-textiles and what have you, but can you fight for, you know, a four day week or uh, a limited schedule of commuting or some, something to, to open up a little time window. If you're too stressed about the fact that you, work 50 hours and tack on 10 or 15 commuting hours and, mm-hmm. you know, open up a window somewhere in there. Um, there's always something you can do. You can definitely talk to somebody and try to make a change uh, in regard to your schedule or something in that capacity. But work is such a big one with people. It is. And you know what? So anybody that comes to see me in the office, um, heads up. If I have people fill out uh, stress-related issues in their life and work is one of them. And if you give me a certain rating, I am bringing it up and it is a tough conversation to have. But if you are stressed, like you said, like, sure, let's figure out a way that maybe we can make this better. But if you have a um, an employer that will not budge or a job that really isn't conforming to your current health state, then you need to make changes. And I especially tell people that by the time that you get to my office, I usually am seeing the, the people that have not had success from other healthcare providers. They come to me and we're trying to figure out this puzzle together. Very difficult puzzle. It's, you know, thousand piece puzzle. It's going to take upside you down too. So you can't see the picture. Yeah. And it's like all the same color. So, um, so by the time that they get to me, we really have to start picking pieces out as to where are we going to make these big changes? And, and work is one of them. Work is one of them for a lot of people. And, even though they're coming into my office so involved, that's a potential to get better. So that's just their new baseline of awfulness. And then we have to find that new baseline of health. And that's what we're working towards. You know, and the I really, I really love hearing goals that the goals are I want to work 40 hours a week or 30 hours or even overtime. And then how are we getting there? But you have to understand that if you can't sustain what you're doing right now, then changing your work situation is something that you need to do to be able to eventually recover so that you can do it again. And that's really important to understand is that you can come back to these things if you work on your health and and self-care and so many other strategies. Find a way to somewhat establish that balance. Yes, but you're going to have to make some changes. And hopefully, I, I would love to think that everybody's changes are temporary. But if you are at the point where you don't know what else to do, you need to change what you're doing. And sometimes it's small and sometimes it's big. You know, I've had people come in and they have to change their whole career, go on disability, but we're always looking again. Okay. That's where we are now. You've made the mental change. So how are we getting you back to what you want to do? And it's important to realize that we're not always stuck in the same situation that we're currently in, that there's room for improvement if we make some of these self-care changes. Yeah. I I think a lot of it's um, this habitual patterning you know, of cycling through either what we've done in the past, like we start to make some some progress towards the good, and then we slide back, and it's not, people get stuck, and they think that's abnormal. But that's something that all of us face mm-hmm. um, in terms of progression, regression, and even patterning back to what you talked about modeling for our children specifically. You know, we were modeled we modeled our behavior based on our parents and we know that our parents' generation was like, 
uh, hello, self-care. Like, There's what no does self- that even no. yeah. mean? It no was self-care. just plow through and work and hardworking generation, but, you know, maybe not the, the most holistic or like air quotes healthy for mm-hmm. that reason. Yeah. And you can, you can see the emergence of all these autoimmune disorders and just overall failure in health. And I'm not saying that it is directly because the generations before us lost self-care time, but there's a correlation. There's absolutely a correlation with working too much, not enough time for yourself and this mental switch of, I have to do more to be better in life. And I think that we need to get out of that mentality and really work on our our understanding of stress and how much is a good amount of stress, what is productive stress, and then how we handle stress in our daily life. And that's where self-care can really help regulate those things and change your perspective on things. And if you're in a situation where the stress does not meet any of those, it's not good, it's not a, you know, it's not a productive type of stress, and it's not a type of stress that is going to benefit you in any way, and it's overwhelming, then you need to make some changes. Yeah. You know, one of the coolest jobs I've ever had uh, in the summers in college, I worked for the Beach Patrol, right? It was Baywatch, okay? So (laughs) um, doing Baywatch on the ocean every day, sitting up on a stand, and I, I, I'll never forget this. And I, I would love to like have a business one day just so I could do with employees, just so I could implement this. We had, um, we had a, a lunch break, right? A 30 minute lunch break, but we had two 15 minute workout breaks where yeah. like you were required because they want to keep people fit to get down off your stand. You could go run, you could swim, you could do like push ups. But what if, I mean, that's 15 minutes. Like we know the studies about productivity's increase with like anything ranging from yoga to a nap to a short workout, a walk, anything. What if we could really get this move in society to push towards like, hey, how could, what would be beneficial for our people and give these five, 10, 15 minute breaks for that and kind of make that a norm? Right. And you know, I'm going to bring up the autonomic system. Because I always do. And we're going to talk more because about Because you're Dr. Patty. I love the autonomic system because it, it regulates so many of our different functions in our body. But um, in leading up to the autonomic system, what you're talking about, these breaks during the day, is that it, it, before I even got into all of this neuroscience nerdy stuff, I was treating orthopedics. And just in orthopedic populations that were coming in with shoulder pain, neck pain, you name it, I was telling them the human body is not made to sit for eight, nine, 10 hours a day at work with one small break where we sit down and we eat in the same position. It's not made to do that. And that's orthopedically, it's not made to do that. It's also not made to do that from an autonomic perspective where we are in one position for the majority of the day and seated is a little bit tough on the autonomic system, similar to standing. It doesn't count as lying down. It's not that type of break. So it still taxes the system even when you're sitting. So what we had is this big um, push and movement towards working out every day. And that's awesome. That's really great. But a while back, don't remember when the study was done, they looked at the overall health of people that were going to the gym. And they actually found um, that there wasn't a real correlation in overall health with the, the gym activity every day. It was actually the type of lifestyle they led during their workday huh. that that determined overall health because what was happening is that these people were sitting all day. They were going to the gym, working out for 30 minutes to an hour, however long they were going home and sitting. 
And that is really taxing on the autonomic system. Forget like just overall health, metabolism, things like that, you name it. Of course, we could talk about how the ANS actually helps regulate all that stuff. But you just think that your, your body is, it likes to be in a constant rhythm and you're asking it to sit work out, sit, lie down. And that's all that you're asking in those big, huge chunks out of the day. So that type of self-care is not necessarily really good for us. Yeah. So it's, and it sometimes it takes this conversation of talking to somebody about, okay, well, what do I do then? And I would love it if all of these businesses bought their, their employees, you know, the, the desks that come with a bike or the desk that comes on a treadmill, you know, just to get people every hour or so up and moving or up and standing. And the stand-up desk is great, but again, we're just standing and pooling blood. Wouldn't it be nice if we could do some exercises once an hour? Um, we had a coworker that used to tell people nine every 90, every 90 minutes, set your alarm, do nine minutes of activity. Um, thanks for that, Emily. Um, so it's, you've got to find something that works for you. But again, the lifestyles that we manage right now, and the same really for if you're working on your autonomic system and you're working on recovering from dysautonomia and you're working on this workout plan, Levine protocol, which is tough for most to get on, or you're working on a modified to approach the Levine, whatever it might be. If you're working with a professional, then you really have to figure out what is your lifestyle during the day look like? Because again, if you are trying to recover from dysautonomia, and you are lying down all day or sitting up at work all day, you tax the autonomic system in a workout in this small period, and then you go back to that lifestyle. It's the same thing. It's not healthy. We need to figure out how to get up and take walk breaks to, to slowly start to tax the autonomic system so that it responds throughout the day and not just in this, you know, head first approach for one hour or, you know, even five minutes for some people, if they're just starting out during the day, it's, yeah. it's not the best way to approach it, but that's how we've done it for, I don't know how long now. It reminds me of the classic physical therapy patient that comes into therapy twice a week for 30 minutes to an hour and does nothing on their own. The typical and, patient and wants yeah. to know why they're not better after two weeks. Right. Right. after four treatments. Right. Yeah. The majority of healing and health is on your own outside of the office. And it's what you take out of those sessions and what you're doing on your own and maintaining. That's actually, I tell people um, that come in when we do work on these things, that the, the treatment that we do in office with like manual orthopedic things, this is like an open door to help give you the opportunity to carry this over outside of here. But if you do not do that, the door closes. So you have to do, and I only give people like one or two things. Um, and it, these small things usually help a lot. But again, it's it's understanding that this is, it's consistency. You know, to break up a consistent pattern of your current health, you have to be consistent in approaching it with treatment strategies. Yeah. So if you're not consistent, if you spot treat it, it's just, it's not going to improve. It's not going to change. It's not going to know what to do. Right. You know, and one of the things I wanted to bring up that, that I give people that I've worked with as kind of a little tip here around selfishness and like guilt around carving out time for yourself is to put it on a schedule. You know, people are getting better about uh, putting borders, building up walls around protecting themselves. Like say with email, we had this talk about setting up an automated response so you don't feel when that person had time to send you an email that you have to respond right back. It's like, hey, I'm going to get back to you within 24 hours. I'm do the best I can. Um, 
setting up these walls around, hey, this is parent time right now. You know, now we're in bed, it's 8.30 for, to talking to the kiddos. Mm-hmm. Like this is kind of mommy and daddy's time. Same thing around self-care. Uh, you know, set the alarm, tell your partner or a friend to help you kind of commit to it that, you know, this 5.30 to 6 window is going to be my time. That way you're not going to be feeling guilty about taking that time when you're in that window. And it'll actually even motivate you to push yourself into it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, everybody is guilty of this. We were not to get too personal with everybody out there, but we were in foster care training a while back. And when we were in the training, they have you fill out basically a time schedule of what your current daily activity looks like over the span of, span of, I think it's three to four days, filling in all of your appointments, all of the things that you need to get done. And then they have you take the same schedule and they have you fill in if you had one or two kids with you, what does that look like? Where are you fitting their stuff in? And they gave you examples of medical appointments, things like that. And the one thing they said is forget the kids being in the lives, you know, this new thing that, that people have to deal with. What they noticed was that people didn't write any self-care time in before they put kids into their schedule. And they really preach that. And I really love that they preach that because um, especially when we're talking about family, it is, it's so hard to, to convince yourself that self-care time is okay and that you have time for it. But you're right. You have to, you really have to figure out and it's a slow process sometimes. I mean, we finally got our automated response up for our email system yeah. um, yesterday. That's why I was fresh I think, in my mind. Yeah, yesterday I think it was because we were answering emails at night. We felt like we had to, you know, we're, we are committed, but like we, we also want to, but, but we got to protect ourselves. We too. have to practice what we preach. So we have to respect our self care time as well. So it's, and it's hard, but it's, it's slow because how long has our practice been open and we finally put an automated response on there. So it's slow, but again, you know, branching off into dealing with family and self-care time, this is really, really tough. Um, And it's really tough if you remember when our kids were younger to find any of that time. It, It doesn't really exist. So, you know, how do you get it in there? And it's really about moment to moment at that point and understanding that your self-care time um, might require a babysitter or a family member to watch the kiddo so that you can escape the house. Um, Absolutely. Or just a few, like, close close the door, leave yourself in, you know, bedroom, bathroom, wherever it is, and just do a couple deep breaths. So there are a lot of different techniques that you can use, and it doesn't have to be like an hour-long massage. For sure. So we've mentioned a few types of self-care, but daily self-care for everybody looks a touch different. So sure. I, with me personally, uh, Reiki, a self-practice, has become a big part of my daily life. Some people use breathing techniques. Are there any common trends that that you see people using or responding really well? I know you work with a big population that deals with dysautonomia. Any things that you find have been very useful or beneficial? Um, I have found that it's completely different depending on the person. I will say in the beginning... I do encourage people to do passive Uh self-care because I think it's an easier approach to get into. So what I mean by passive self-care is that you mentally have to do less. 
So if we're talking about meditation, find some guided meditation um, or find a class to go to for meditation so that you're not running your own meditation. Mentally, I find that exhausting. Um, I love to meditate, but I'm not the best at meditating on my own. I have a very busy brain. So I personally need- A monkey mind. I do. So I personally need other outlets. I need somebody to work with me um, or, you know, Qigong moving meditation is- is also really beneficial to me. Um, other passive, that's not passive because we are moving, but other passive strategies, um, you know, is going and scheduling a massage and just lying down on a table and letting somebody work on you or Reiki. So finding these ways where you just schedule a time and you just be, <laughs> and you don't have to do anything mentally commit to anything is where I start people. But there are there's so many different avenues um, to be able to look into. I think it's it's really limitless and it's it's exploratory for each person and it might change. It might completely change. Maybe I am able to sit in a quiet room, completely dark and meditate on my own on nothing in 10 years. I don't see that happening, but who knows who I could be able to do that. So it's, it's nice to, to understand that there are so many options out there. Everybody responds differently and it's okay to try some of them. I really like that piece about just setting up a window and you, you said a word explore um, because all of us have things that passions they want to follow, like learn to play the guitar, learn to sew. And one thing that we that you nailed over the pandemic was um, getting together with your mom over Zoom and learning mm. to sew and do like Sunday sewing lessons. My gosh, it's something I wanted for almost 40 years. Yeah. And like <laughs> that only involved setting up the time, putting it on a schedule, and then it happened. Yeah. There's n- absolutely no reason that couldn't have ever happened before that. Oh, I was thoroughly convinced that it couldn't happen yeah, though. But it just, you manifested it. It just. Right. So, right. Um, but setting up the window was cool because I could see like for myself, some of the things I want to explore and do if I'm, if I feel like I'm having a bananas day and I'm looking forward to, oh, from three thirty to four, it's self-care. And that can look like, you know, learning to play the guitar with Ronan or, you know, doing any of these number of things that that would very much line up with this conversation, mm-hmm. but carving, setting up that window to just be, I really liked what you said. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and one of the big glaring issues, we've talked a little bit in the beginning about the selfishness and the guilt that comes along with it, but just clearing that from your mind, I think is really important. Whatever the social stigma is that um, the other people come first, we really need to get rid of. Um, I am a very caring person. I love my children. I love helping people in any way that I can, but I still also understand that my health is direly important to being able to do that. And we can, some of us consider that selfish because it's what we've been taught that we just plow away and we get things done. And then if there's time at the end, we take care of ourselves and we have to switch that perspective that to be able to do these things, we need to care for ourselves so that we have the energy to do them. So getting rid of that social stigma that we have, um, and I feel like there is a shift happening. It's slow. Um, The shift will happen faster if all of you go out and start doing self-care and understanding that, you know, you do come first health-wise, and then that health is going to let you be able to care for others and do your job. Yeah, especially with stuff like social media. You know, we run two small businesses and try to create content and as we alluded to earlier, that just didn't happen like we originally saw planned uh, throughout this couple past couple months. But um, 
but being able to be okay with stepping away from creation and yeah. just being, you know, in stepping away, that's this has opened a door for you to do a whole lot. There's a 1500 page book in my living room upstairs that's Dr. <laughs> Patty's to do all this other stuff. So while, you know, to to some people it looks like, you know, where's Dr. Patty at? Like I haven't heard much from her. If if they could see behind the doors and see how much that you've been adding to your, you know, to your to your knowledge background, it's it's been pretty cool and setting you up for big things moving forward. Yeah, my brain is pretty tired. And the only way we said as we were coming back into this podcast today that we've been able to come back into the podcast and we've been able to, we've got a bunch of new recipes coming out. Um, I've got some blog posts all ready to go. Um, We're getting back into social media. The only way that has happened is because we have done a tremendous amount of self-care time more so in the past couple of weeks, but trying to figure out what that looks like in the pandemic. And I feel like we are starting to nail it. And because we've had this self-care time, we have absolutely had more energy. Our sleeping patterns are better and we're, we're just able to get more things done. So there, I'm doing so many things and I do believe it's because of the self-care that I have put into myself over the past, well, lifetime. Um, but especially with more focus and and more compassion for myself and really paying attention to what my body's telling me, that's really been like the past six months or so. And especially during the pandemic, um, I just, I latched on and I was like, well, if I'm going to be stuck at home, we're headed into that, that gym garage and we're just going to get stuff done and on a daily basis if possible. And it's really been helpful, but also understanding limitations. I didn't, you know, start running 10 miles every day right. because I'm dealing with a nice long lifetime bout of dysautonomia and definitely have learned how to work with my body. And it's very slow. All right. So we've kind of nailed self-care, mm-hmm. I think in terms of, you know, like a general definition and some examples, but the big glaring cousin of self-care, the villain to the self-care hero is a self-sabotage monster. Why are we so much better at that? I'm really good at that. <laughs> We're so good at that. You know, from like a physiological standpoint of going out and drinking two nights before a big marathon overseas. Yeah, I'm talking about our trip to Dublin. That was two nights before the marathon. Yeah, two yes. nights. But like that was a terrible, terrible mistake. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know why from examples like that to just the, the frustration and the stubbornness and letting that eke in and take over and then just living in that space. I, I don't know why we're so good at it, but well, as humans, are, we've yeah. adapted. <laughs> there are definitely reasons. I mean, the, the brain prefers normalcy over even health. So what I mean is the the brain really latches on to your regular patterns of the way that you do things, the chemicals that you release, whether even if it's a stressful uh, chemicals like cortisol and things like that, if you get rid of them, the body is not used to it. The body likes normalcy. It gets uncomfortable. Um, even with meditation and things like that, if you're finding yourself becoming more uncomfortable, the more meditation that you do, it might be a little bit um, too much too soon or I'm not telling people to wait out the effects. You know, you definitely want to talk to somebody about this if you're feeling this, but sometimes you have to get past that, that shift that happens where the discomfort um, turns into understanding that this is the new way of life and feeling better is good, but the brain likes normalcy. So if you have lived a life of stress and trauma um, and 
you know, autonomic dysfunction and you are just used to putting yourself in those patterns, if you take those patterns away, it's traumatizing for the body and for the mind. So it's a good thing to work on, but we have to understand that it's a process in itself. Just like when, you know, if you talk about physical activity, we have to get over that hump. It's usually like a two to four week window, dysautonomia, maybe two months or so that you have to work through that discomfort of working out before your running feels good and not like your, your body is just done for the day. So there's that shift that happens and it happens mentally as well in the brain. So that's a really important point. I think you just brought up, uh, you know, a little bit word choice, diction, wordplay, but just the word normal um, in that if you're coming from a background of trauma and triggers and dysautonomia, that's obviously not something we want. You might call that abnormal, but that's normal for you. Absolutely. Because that's normal for you to remove it into something you might think is now normal life it's abnormal to your body. It's abnormal to your body. But the nice thing is, is that with work, and I do recommend working with a professional that understands all these intricate systems. um, How to slowly interject. Slowly and understand that there might be um, more discomfort. uh, But again, approaching that's very difficult. So working with somebody to create a new normal. Now, I'm not saying that your normal of what we consider abnormal will be your future normal. You can change your normal. You can change it into a different pattern. You just have to work yourself to get into that place. But yes, your normal is your normal. Everybody's normal is their normal, whether it's good or bad or indifferent. Normal is normal. I'm kind of abnormal, though. So (laughs) (laughs) I think uh, like... In, with society in general, like you had mentioned, there's a bit more awareness around being able to push towards like a holistic approach to life. I think it's uh, a little bit closer on the spectrum of discussion. Um, I think people have been a, 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 are certainly becoming a bit more open-minded. Uh, but in this modern day and age, with uh, like screens and access to information, uh, it's just it's tough. There's a lot going on all the time. You talked about the autonomic nervous system, right? That fight or flight piece. If we're almost constantly in that completely dialed in space, it's tough to pull out of that and, and kind of take the first step. And that first step is, is really difficult. And yeah. one of the things that I would say first is to kind of hopefully find some support, some type of like network or person that you can talk to about this, not just professionally, but within your, your small circle, um, you know, being able to, what am I trying to say? What I'm trying to say is being able to ask for help. Oh, that's why is that so difficult? I mean, it's just like self-sabotage is so easy. Um, Asking for help is difficult. And it's because we present a vulnerability and people don't like that. People don't like being vulnerable. You know, even people with chronic illness, um, they want help, but they also want to tough it out. And you have to find a happy medium and you have to accept the fact that we are all vulnerable and it's okay to ask for help. And if you're not getting help from one place, it's okay to look for help from another place. But, but yeah, it's, um, we feel like we need to do all of this ourselves and we most certainly do not. Some people prefer to do it themselves, but I feel like, especially when we're dealing with a lot of medical conditions that you need some guidance. So asking for help is really difficult from loved ones as well, because we feel as though we're imposing, um, 
But the positive change that could happen once your health improves, I think, outweighs the feeling of imposing on somebody. And, you know, it's it's nice to have an open conversation. And can you help me in this way and support me in this way? And if you can't, well, I'm going to find it somewhere else. And whether you say, okay, this will work for our relationship or this will not, that's also a tough conversation to have. Um, you know, I find... This seems very petty, but um, in talking about diet changes with people, temporary ones usually, um, you know, we we need everybody in the house to help support that. It's really tough to do it on your own. And that's a stopping point for some people because significant others won't make that change. Um, and if that's happening, I definitely think that you should seek out help and counseling um, and to talk about relationship issues if you're asking for help and you're not getting it. Um, if you're asking for help, you need it. And if you're asking for help, you're ready. So you're ready and you need it and you need to go find it and you need to figure out how to make that work for you. Awesome. So an action plan, what do we yes. do now? Where do we move forward? Um, if you're hearing this, you know, nobody listening to this is, is completely absent-minded on self-care. Uh, you know, it's been, if it was easy enough to just listen to a podcast and then all of a sudden a, a switch gets flipped and you're, person, person a that self cares amazingly, you know, that would be, I don't know, we'd probably be superheroes, <laughs> but, um, that's not the way that it works. So people have heard this before. What some of the things that I like to have, um, my clients do is write or journal, um, showing gratitude or reaching out to somebody. Certainly like asking for help is a big first step. Um, but I have people list down what they're thankful for, um, show appreciation because that stuff comes around um, karma cir- circularly really well. Right. If you do something not for you – know, even if you don't share it with anybody, if you do something completely for good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, to write down some things that they'd really like to do um, to kind of find some passions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it transitions us into what do we do now? What, what are those next steps? And, um, there are some people that are ready to dive head first and really start making a commitment to their health. And there's some people that it's scary and they're thoroughly convinced that there is no time. And honestly, some people just don't have time, you know, especially if we're talking about young families and, and dealing with babies and especially single parents and you name it, there are so many scenarios that somebody can be dealing with and they don't have a lot of time. So, finding one small thing that you feel you need to work on. You know, I just switched phones and my new phone tells me how much time I'm spending on my apps and on social media. And it's terrifying. So it's, but that's a way for me to say, okay, well, it's reading this many hours on this day. Let's start to break it down. One small change can really help. Or if it's just, um, you know, five minutes of meditation every other day with guided meditation, or if you just make sure that you're taking horizontal breaks during the day, a few times a day, if you feel your body needs it, it's these very small changes that can eventually lead to big ones because then the system will start to actually acclimate to that self-care time and start to hit the reset button every day. And then from that, you're going to find more energy to actually find more self-care time. So it's these little changes that can start to pile up. And again, it's different for every single 
single person out there, um, it's really great if you can talk to a medical professional. Um, when we're dealing with the autonomic system, which is coming up in our podcast, there are even like even more passive ways to deal with it. Um, but it's still sitting down for self-care time with an app or, you know, a STEM unit or something like that, that helps the autonomic system, which we'll talk about at another point, but finding those, those times, um, and talking to somebody about what the best strategy for you is, is really important. Yeah. I think that's one thing that we're both very much on the same page with in terms of our approach to anything is that true change comes with windows of acclimation and not yes. just a light switch. Um, you know, there are very few people that do something different right after the snap of a finger. Yeah. And there's going to be, it's like a roller coaster, you know, for one big hill you go up and, you know, you might have just little tiny hills after you bottom out. So it's important to know that even though you start with a bang and it doesn't work, that's okay. Reassess what didn't work for you. Was it too much too soon? How can you make that work? And then you start going over those little hills. This is not a steady, you know, uh, diagonal line that goes up towards the goal. It's not linear for sure. No, this looks like our erratic heart rate as it starts to increase as we're going up a hill. Like it's, you know, it's up and down and, you know, bottoms out, comes back up. So just understanding that um, acclimation to self-care, uh, it's a bumpy road. So you think I can close this by saying self-care starts with self-kindness? I think so. Alrighty. Thank you for taking the time to tune into Thriving with Stripes. Follow us on this journey by clicking subscribe on the Apple iTunes store, Google Play Music, or wherever you find your podcasts. As a reminder, we see patients in office and via teleappointment for those out of area. If you have questions or would like to reach out, our email is info at elevationwellness.co. We are also on Facebook as Elevation Wellness and Instagram under the handle elevation underscore wellness underscore co. Until next time, zebras.